my name's Christian, one of the pastors here. If you are here for your first time, I just want to welcome you. So cool that you're here, and it is good to see you. Um, we also just want to take a second to just celebrate and thank Sharon Hampson and Claire Mulrooney specifically, and all of the people who volunteered at Family Promise this week. I think we should just give them a big hand. That's a lot of work, and uh, we, had a, we had a bunch of people staying here. If you're unfamiliar, Family Promise is um, an organization that brings together churches. I think there's 12 or 14 of us now, and we house some homeless families from our area, and uh, Family Promise works with them to find housing and jobs, so it's super cool. Middle school, head out the back with Thane. You guys are gone. Go. Get out. All right. Um, so we are con- finishing up our series on a section of Romans Today's Romans 15, 1 to 13, and um, before I get started, I want to show you um, just a funny video. You've heard of Tim Hawkins, some of you, he's a Christian comedian, and uh, we're going to be talking about um, unity even in the midst of diversity, and so I think this is a funny way to get it started, get the conversation going. So, watch that clip now. All right. So... The, the big point for today is that God did not create us to be the same. God created, uh, from the very beginning, diversity to reflect his greatness, his creativity. You know, how creative would you be if you drew the same picture over and over and over again your whole life, right? And, and if that were me, it would just be the same stick figure over and over and over again, and it wouldn't get any better. But God, if you look at the creation story, from, the, from day one, he starts to bring distinction. So the first day, he separates light and dark. The first thing he does is he doesn't create sameness. He creates distinction. And it's still unified under his creation. Day two, he creates water and sky. Day three, he creates land and water and separates them. Then he creates plants. Then he creates animals of all kinds. He creates seasons and the sun and the moon to distinguish day and night. He creates different kinds of animals in the land and in the sea. And then he creates man and then he creates woman. And he continues to create and create and create. And distinction takes over. But it's unified by his spirit. And that is a reflection of the glory of God. Diversity is a reflection of the glory of God. And what humans have done since the fall is we've resisted that. We've homogenized. We've said, I want to be with people who look like me and act like me and worship like me and smell like me. And anyone who's any different, I want to separate them out away from me. And we begin to draw protective circles with harder and harder lines. Even Christians do this. And, and what Paul is addressing in Romans 15 is how can we live in unity in diversity? Is it impossible? Or is it something that God can do? And I, I want to just, we're going to preach on that today. We're going to talk about it. Um, Romans 15 is addressing a very specific situation. And uh, so I want to, when we read the Bible, especially in this series where we're kind of doing expository teaching, we're going verse by verse instead of taking a topic Right? We want to look at the original intent, and this is what we do when we study Scripture on our own, too. You look at what it meant, what did they mean when they wrote it, and then you say, how do I apply it to my life? Right? So I want, to, I want to talk about what Paul originally meant. It'll give us some knowledge about the Scripture, but we want to take it further than that. 
Well, the vineyard talks, in, our, in the preaching classes in the vineyard, we talk about trying to achieve three things when we preach. We want to stimulate the mind. So we're going to do that. We're going to learn about the original text. But we can't stop there, right? We want to stir the heart. So we want to say, how does this change me? How does this affect me? And then we want to motivate the will. So what am I going to do tomorrow that's different because of this? So that's what we're aiming at with these three. Let's read. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Romans 15. If you have a, a phone with a Bible on it, you can use that too. I don't think that there's much of a difference. Um, Romans 15, 1 to 13. And uh, so we're going to look at this. It'll also be behind me, the floating Bible behind me. For we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. This is a segue from Natasha's teaching last week. Um, out of chapter 14, he kind of says, therefore, okay, from all the things I've just said, and then he continues, each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ <clears throat> did not please himself, but, that, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me, okay? So he takes his thoughts from chapter 14, and he takes them a step further. And what, what's happening here is that you have uh, Jewish Christians who have grown up in the Jewish faith. And they, from the very beginning of their lives, everything in their life has been religiousized. Okay? They haven't lived a secular life. All their rites of passage have come from Jewish history, have come from Jewish tradition. All their celebrations, they've been taught, even their schooling was Jewish. So everything to them was Jewish. And here they are, the Messiah comes, Jesus comes, they find Jesus, and they see Jesus, following Jesus, is the next step in Judaism, really. You know, Christianity was just kind of the next step. But the thing that happened was Jesus also came for the Gentiles over here who have grown up their whole life without any of that stuff. They haven't been learning the Old Testament. They haven't been going through the rites of passage. And yet Jesus comes and says, yes, you are grafted in. You are joined together. It was like you get to skip steps one through ten, come right in here. And that was causing conflict. Because the Jews were saying, well, you need to do all these things. You remember step five? That was hard. You need to do step five. You better celebrate this celebration because we have always celebrated this celebration. And the Gentiles were like, I'm pretty sure I've never celebrated that. You know, Jesus died for my sins just like yours. And that was a conflict, a tension that was going on. Okay. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude and mind towards each other that Jesus had. So with one mind and one voice, you may glorify God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He basically says, look, if this seems hard, look at Scripture. From the beginning, Scripture's been teaching you to be ready for this. Look at Scripture to get encouragement. If this seems hard, look to God. He gives a prayer here. May God give you endurance. He's recognizing that relating to people who are different than you is going to be difficult. Have you ever experienced that in your life? Yeah, we need endurance. I love when the Bible tells us it's okay for things to be not easy. <laughs> right? It's okay to need endurance from God. He goes on, he says, accept one another as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. He says, look, if you guys don't get along, our testimony is going to fail. I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so the promises made to the patriarchs may be confirmed. So he's saying, yes, he appeared to the Jews. Moreover, he appeared to the Jews so that the Gentiles might glorify God. And this is the point he's driving home. He's trying to say, look, it's not about you. It's not about you. 
And you could substitute Christians for Jews in this, I think, and Gentiles for non-Christians. You could say, hey, all this stuff that we do is not all about you. A lot of what we're doing here is so that you can reach the world with the message of the gospel. And he goes in to proving this from Scripture. So he puts these four quotes up next. And what I'm showing you, uh, if you can go to the next slide, um, is where they came from. So it doesn't say all that in the Bible. It just has the quotes. But I'm showing you where it came from because he, he does a really cool thing. He quotes from all three sections of the Old Testament. He quotes from the law and the prophets and the Psalms. He's like, listen, if you don't believe me that you and the Gentiles are supposed to be one, Let's read the Bible together. It says, Therefore, I praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. This is from David after he was delivered from the hands of Saul. And he said, Look, I'm going to praise God with the Gentiles too. He says, Again, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. This is Moses t- commanding the Jews to rejoice with the Gentiles. Saul, he quotes David again. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let us all praise him together. I love that. And then he quotes Isaiah. Again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations, in him the Gentiles will hope. And this is obviously a prophecy from Isaiah about Jesus, who will, root, who, um, who will spring up and be a hope to the Jews and the Gentiles. Therefore, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so you may overflow with power, with hope by the power of his Holy Spirit. And that is an important page of my notes that I dropped. So he's saying, in, in the last sentence there, what I hear there is, we need the power of God, too. This can't be just something we work on. It's got to be something that we receive from God. All right, so that's, that's the context. That's the original intent. And you know what? When, when I read this the first few times, I, honestly, I struggled with, okay, well, what, what does this mean for me? You know, and I think the challenge of Scripture, when it's not directly relatable to us, is is pressing into God to say, what does it mean for me? It's not enough to just learn about this. You know, we, we're not struggling in this church right now with Jew and Gentile reconciliation. <laughs> that's, not, that's not an issue in this church right now. It, it's an issue in the world, I think, but not specifically in this church. So how do you, do you just say, well, this doesn't apply to us. It's, it was for something then. It doesn't apply now. Do you just let this go? No. We want to learn how to, uh, you know, take the truth and make it real for us today. And this is what God was speaking to me, is that, Unity, all right, was not, never meant to come through sameness. Unity was never meant to come by being all alike or sectioning ourselves off so that we can be just with people who are like us. That unity was meant to be in the midst of diversity and that that would really be the picture of God and his people that would attract the world. And so how do we do that? You know, there's a couple things that I think God's plan is. I think it's God's plan that there are many churches. You can see that in the New Testament already, right? There's churches in different cities. And I think it's God's plan that not every church looks the same. I think it's God's plan that some churches are one way to attract some people, and other churches are another way to attract other people. You know, Paul even said things like, I don't care if people preach the gospel from the wrong motives, right? As long as the gospel's preached. So you're going to have some churches that are super seeker sensitive and you might go there and you might be like, where's the presence of God? But you know what? If they're getting people saved, what do we have to say about that? Right? And if people will make, might come to our church and be like, you guys are so over the top spiritual. You know what? If we're drawing people closer to Jesus and seeing lives transformed, what do they have to say about this? And who can say one's better than the other? But don't we do that? 
I think Christians do that a lot. I think division comes in amongst different churches and tries to, it's like competition. Why would we care if another church did better or grew faster or reached more people or had different strategies as long as the kingdom is, is advanced and the gospel is preached, yes and amen. And you know, I think that's something that the church as a whole is missing. Okay, a second area that I think we need unity is God gave many gifts, but one body. He says this 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 over and over again. Right? Doesn't he say, some of you are this, some of you are this, some of you have gifts of prophecy, some of you have gifts of administration, some of you have gifts of service, some of you have gifts of leadership, but you're all one body. No one's more important. In fact, he goes out of his way to say the things that seem least important are given special honor. And you can't, the eye can't say to the foot, I don't need you. Remember that, that whole section. So in the body of Christ, I think God's plan for diversity is there's many gifts and we're all called in different ways, but we're all still one. And how Satan comes in there, okay, is that he brings value assignments. Satan starts to whisper to our ears that certain gifts are more important. Certain gifts are better or more powerful you know, and the, certain gifts get elevated. And it honestly depends what church you go to, but I see it all over the place. You know, gifts of leadership. Leaders of, you know, are, are exalted in ways that they shouldn't be. Put on this pedestal. Or the gift of prophecy, like, yeah, or the gift of healing. Some of the stuff that seems more powerful. But you know what? So much wouldn't happen with the behind-the-scenes gifts. And I've learned that working in the church, that all these gifts— are equally important and vital for the body of Christ to run. If you had a, you know, if you had a church full of just prophets, <laughs> they would only know when they were supposed to meet by discerning it in the Spirit. <laughs> right? right? But if you had a church full of administrators, I don't want to say anything bad about administrators, and you can be an administrator and a prophet, you know, but if you had a church full of administrators, it would look totally different, but it would be organized. You know, I have a friend who's a very administrative pastor, and every minute of his service is scheduled from the beginning to the end. Now, some of you would struggle in that format, because you're more prophetic, and you like, you know, right? But some of you are like, that sounds awesome. I wish we would have more structure here. And literally, there's no one way to do it. I mean, we do this the, the way we do it here, and we get both comments. I get people saying, you guys need more structure, and I get people saying, you guys need less structure. And that's how I know we're doing it right. You know, when no one's happy, it's, you're doing it right. But uh, here's another way that I think God wanted diversity. I think God created us with many colors and with many personalities. When you look around this room, no one's the same. And that's God's will. That's God's, that's his face. That's, he said you are the body of Christ. He wants us to be Different personalities, different likes and dislikes, different skin colors. He wants that. And where Satan comes in is he says, no, you guys are different. And he starts to separate. You know, people say that uh, Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week. That's the enemy coming in and, and starting to destroy what God wants to see in the body of Christ. See, Satan comes to bring division because we need each other. We need each other. We need the differences in each other. We need what each other brings to the table. You know, when you get to a place in your life where you're only listening to yourself, you are, you're, you're in a bad place. You need exterior people who think differently, people who have different gifts than you, people that have a different history than you, speaking into your life. You know, I heard, um, I heard a guy say that, uh, you know, you, this is proof that you need others speaking into your life because your nose is the closest thing to your mouth, 
and you never know if you have bad breath. And you're so close to it. You need someone else to tell you, right? And that's the same with other areas in your life. You know, we just get tunnel vision about what we do. That's like slowly dawning on the room. Oh, I got, oh yeah, I see. What's he talking about? Some of you weren't paying attention. That's okay. Now you are. You just needed a joke about bad breath and you're in. Okay. But we need, we need that, you know, other people looking at how we do things differently. Now that's something that Bruce brings to my life. Bruce is different than me. I, I think you know that. I have hair. He does not. Okay, I can just one joke about Bruce. He's not here. Oh, Bruce and Lynn are in California, in case you're wondering why they're not here. They went to a Vineyard Leadership Conference and stayed some extra time out there. Um, no, but Bruce has, has a way of seeing things that's slightly different than me, and sometimes he can just say things that I know are true and I just hadn't thought about. And it opens up, you know, he was, he was challenging me on something in ministry recently, and he just pointed out, and I said, you know what, you're right about that. And it stayed with me, and it was something, I, I wasn't really giving as many call forwards as I used to. And he was like, you know, you're really good at that, you should step into that more often. And I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's good encouragement, and you're right, I kind of, it's become like a blind spot to me. So I've been trying to look for that more often now. Because he just sees it differently than I do. We need people speaking into our lives differently. I think the enemy wants to bring division because it ruins our testimony as a body of Christ. You know, the world looks at us and it sees this fragmentation. And I think he wants to also bring division because it ruins our spiritual power. There's power in being unified. Okay, so I think this scripture gives us a few keys to being unified in diversity. So have I convinced you that it's God's will that we be diverse? It's not God's will for sameness. It's not God's will that we all look the same and act the same and have the same gifts. It's his will that we be as as diverse and as beautiful as he can be. But that's not easy. So here are some keys that I think we can take out of this scripture. All right, here we go. First, we need to put each other first. This is simple, and I think you can apply, I think I have five of these. You, have, you can apply these to any relationship here. It can be for church, it can be for your workplace, it can be for your marriage. You know, one of the barriers to unity is selfishness. And we need to put each other first. He says here, each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. This is an outward focus, an outward way of living life. Philippians 2 tells us to humbly, va- excuse me, humbly value others better than yourselves. Humbly value others better. That's a huge calling. Humbly value others better than yourselves. Put others first. You know, this culture is about me first. This culture is like, what feels good to me? Um, I was working on uh, Samuel's 10th grade electives. And like, I don't know, if you're not, if you're not, you know, have kids in that age range, you don't know this anymore. But when I went to high school, you just had like courses that you took and you didn't have a choice. Now it's like college in high school. You have all these electives you can pick from. And so we were really wrestling with at 15 years old, like, what do you want to do with your life? And, you know, what courses fit who you are? And, you know, it's really interesting that we, our cultures become more and more and more, do what you want to do. Do what fits you. Do what, what you like. And there's a good side to that, but there's also a danger to that, I think, where you might not learn how to do stuff you don't necessarily like, but you should do. You know, and that's like work ethic, right? That's something that I talk to my kids about sometimes and say, hey, can you go out and, you know, scoop the poop out of the lawn? No one feels gifted to do that, right? No one's like, my passion is scooping the poop. This is who I was created to be. I feel it in my bones, Right? And they're out there, and they're creating new and inventive ways to scoop poop, right? No. no one, and they're like, ah, ah, ah. I'm like, you know, neither do I. 
You know, it's not like when you become a parent, you magically want to do things you hate, you know? You just have to do them. And then when you get teenagers, they do them. And that's why you have kids, right? So go outside. But, but I think that's something in our culture is me first. What do I want? And there's, that's the opposite of what Jesus does. You know, we can go through this. We, I taught on this a couple weeks ago about God's definition of love and how selfless his love is and how others-focused it is. That's who we're called to be, others-centered. What can I do for you? How can I serve you? How can I lay my life down for you? You know, the people who served at Family Promise this week, uh, you know, I know, like, my dad was one of the night sleepers, and you had to stay here and sleep on a cot. My dad wasn't like, you know what I am burning to do with my life is sleep on a cot and wake up at five in the morning, you know? He wasn't like, that, that's, that just makes my heart sing. But he knows that that is good and godly, and he stepped into it. And, I, and many of you do that, right? You put other people first. Those people needed someone here, so you step into that role because other people are more important. You put other person's interests in front of yourselves. It's a radical way to live your life, but it brings unity. If we all did that for each other, think about if you did that in a marriage where you're constantly looking out for each other's interests instead of your own, it brings unity. Second, we celebrate each other, right? We, we build each other up. He says, he says the second half of that sentence is that we're called to build one another up. There's so much power in saying good things about each other. It's so simple. But you know what we do when we find differences with, with each other is we often point out the negative. And we say what you're not doing or what you're missing. And there's so much power in pointing out what's good and great about each other. Um, I work with some guys when we do the conferences for the youth in the region. And Recently, I've handed the winter retreat off to one of my friends, and he's, he does a great job, but he does it differently. And I've done it for like eight years, I think, and I have a way that I do things. And as he took over, I was really, you know, careful to say, like, you don't have to do everything like I, in fact, I want you to own it. I want you to do what comes out of who you are. And so it's different. And I, and I could sit there, and I could critique it, because that's who I am, a leader. You know, leaders love to critique other people's stuff, and, you know, I could look at it and say, Different is worse. And it's really easy to do that, isn't it? But what God has been working in my life through some of this is like, wow, different is either just different, and that's okay, or sometimes different's better. Like there's stuff he does that I had never thought to do, and I see it working. And that's the glory of diversity being unified, is he brings something to the table that I wouldn't bring. And I can celebrate what he does, even if it's different from me. How can you do this in your life? How can you celebrate your spouse? And the things that they do. How can you celebrate your friends? And, you know, and lift each other up. Build each other up. There's so much power when you say to someone, this is something you do well. And you've ever noticed your response? When you encourage somebody, it endears them to you. It produces unity. It produces bonds. All right, third, we, we can put God's word before our feelings. You know who we're called to be in unity with? People who hurt us. Somehow, in the body of Christ, we're called to be in unity even with our enemies. We're supposed to love our enemies, okay? Now, that's not, you know, you could take that too far, and that's not what this teaching is about, you know, proper boundaries around levels of hurt and all that. So just hear me. That's not what this teaching is about. But he says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. I think what he, one of the things he's saying there is, let's look to God's word and not just to how we feel about each other. And he's saying to the Jews and the Gentiles at that time, you guys don't feel unified, but let's look to God's word and find encouragement. I recently 
uh, recently as late in the last few years. So sometime in my life, I had this thing that <laughs> happened to me where um, I had, I had, you ever had a, a meeting where you, it was confrontational? Nobody? Right. So I had a confrontational meeting. Had my, I had my feelings hurt. And, and I was going back in, round two. <laughs> we had scheduled another talk. And I was worried. I was anxious. And um, so I spent some time in the morning just studying Philippians 2. I felt like the Lord told me, like, like, get into my word. Get into my word instead of your feelings. Get into my word instead of your feelings. So I read Philippians 2, and it started saying, humble yourself. It started saying, put other people before yourself. And so I started to pray about the person I was going to talk to. And started thinking about their perspective instead of mine. And, well, I wonder what, what I said made them feel. I mean, I felt justified in what I said. You know what I mean? I was right. But I wonder how it made them feel. I wonder what it might have communicated that I didn't intend it to communicate. You know, oftentimes when we're in disagreements or in confrontation, we're not even listening. We're just like saying and saying and saying. And they're speaking, but we're not hearing. But there's, the scripture has so much truth in it. And what, as I allowed myself to get into the word, then it changed my heart. And when I went into the meeting, it went a hundred times better. And in the meeting, I was able to be so much more full of peace, so much calmer, and so much more reasonable, I think. All right, two more. You guys with me still? Okay. It's about him, not me. All right, if we want to have unity in the midst of diversity, it's about God. May the God who gives, um, sorry, yes, that's it. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ had, so you may with one mind and one voice glorify God. There's this great Jesuit principle called indifference. And what it teaches is basically um, when we do things for God, if we hold on to it and want the credit and the glory and the honor, it's going to limit what we can do for God. It's going to limit the kingdom of God. So when we do things for God, we got to have open hands. And uh, recently, I was asked to, um, to craft some spiritual markers of deve- spiritual development in the vineyard for middle school and high schoolers. So I spent hours working on this. I interviewed a bunch of youth pastors all over the country. I read some sections of some good books that were recommended to me. And I drew up some markers for middle school and some markers for high school, okay? And I submitted them, and there was this big meeting that was going to happen. And I submitted them on time, early even, shared it, let them have a chance to read it ahead of time. They didn't even look at it at the meeting. Didn't even look at it. I was like, that frustrates me. (laughs) I worked really hard on that. And then, moreover, (laughs) I went to some meetings two weeks later where they were talking about what we've been working on. And they had actually published the list that I had given them and put it in this packet that they handed out. But my name wasn't in there anywhere. And there was a little bit of, hey, I didn't even know they were going to do it, which was a little bit worse. Like, I didn't even know that they were using it. They didn't, like, ask my permission or anything. They just put it in there. I opened it up. I was like, oh, that's, I wrote that. Interesting. So we're all on the same team. And and I'm not, I wasn't, like, upset with it. But it was a good, like, heart check. You ever ever have something happen to you where you're like, hmm, this is a good test of my character starting now, right? What am I going to do with this? You know, and I, and I, I wanted, I felt it. I wanted credit. I wanted glory. I wanted to be recognized, you know? And I had to really work through that and say, no, you know, what what the Jesuits say is to the glory of God and the greater good of man. Guess who's not in that list? Me, right? The glory of God and the greater good of man. Love God, love others, right? It's not about me. 
And when it's about me, it hinders the work of the kingdom. When it's about me, it hinders unity. When I want it my way, I want worship. My, I don't like when they play that worship song. That teaching didn't speak to me. I don't like a, okay, right? We could go on, and I could offend you all, and then you could all leave. Right? But no, we all do this. We all do this. But it's not about us. You know, that leads me to the, the last one. We need to have open hearts and open hands. He says that, I'm not going to read it again, but the whole thing, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. And then he goes into all these scriptures commanding them to celebrate with the Gentiles. He's basically saying, look, I know you've lived your whole life. I know you have thousands of years of history, you know, fighting for your lives, trying to stay alive as, as a nation and as a religion. But now I'm commanding you to just accept everyone. And they're going to be different, and they're going to talk different, they're going to act different. They're, they're not going to know what you know, but you have to accept them. You know, and I pray, and we pray, and we talk a lot in this church about revival, about wanting to get people saved, about wanting to touch our community. And I wonder sometimes what it would really look like if lots of people started getting saved and showing up here on Sunday. And how challenging that would be for us. You know, what if 50 people were in here who are in the first week of their life with God. And, and here we are, some of us have 30, 40 years following God. Hopefully your character is further along than theirs. Hopefully your knowledge of the word is further along. Would you be willing to lay down some stuff for them? You know, the first verse of this says, bear with those who are weaker than you. You know, what if, like, like just practically, like, what if we had to adjust how we did church? Like if revival started and people started getting saved, what if we had to adjust how we did church? Would we be okay with that? You know, so one of the things that I do from the front as a teacher, purposefully, is I try to explain things that Christians already know. Right? I try not to just mention some guy named Noah. You all know who Noah is, but what if there's someone, there's Noah back there, hey Noah. Uh, what, if, what if there's someone sitting in here who's never heard of Noah and it's lost on them? You know? Even, even words like in this teaching I've used, Gentiles. Like, what is that word? There's probably, if someone, there's probably someone who doesn't know what that means. I should have explained that. Like, how willing are, are we to adjust so we can have open hearts? And, and think about your life, like how we live our lives. Is our life so compartmentalized to just Christian things and Christian people and Christian groups that we never rub shoulders with people who don't know Jesus? And if so, how will we ever see them? You know, Paul says, how will they ever hear if no one preaches? And how will we ever preach if no one is sent? But we have to get outside of ourselves. So I know I have like an evangelistic bent to my life, and I know I, I harp on that a lot, and it probably gets frustrating for you to hear it sometimes. But I think that's part of how we're supposed to live on this earth, you know? All right. So I want to show you a clip because I think it's powerful and I think it kind of sums up what I'm trying to say here and what the word's trying to say here. So the basic theme here is that God didn't intend unity to come by being all the same. In fact, he wants us to be, celebrate our differences but work hard to love one another and be unified. All right, but it's going to take some work. So I'm going to show you a clip from the movie The Giver. I don't know if you've read the book or seen the movie. I don't know that this really ruins much, but... I hope not. <laughs> um, but basically, it's a society, it's supposed to be a utopian society, and to get rid of what they saw as evil coming from the power to choose to be different, they made everything the same and took away your power to choose. 
So everyone looks the same. They got rid of eye color, hair color, dresses the same, okay? You didn't even have family connections. Like they would take babies and just assign them. They weren't your actual child. All right, so what you're going to see in this clip is the one guy who's um, the guy who holds the memories of those bad times so that they can have one anchor to the past. And he remembers what it's like to have love and to have color and to have joy, but the flip side, to have pain and to have hatred and to have war. He remembers all of that and he carries it, okay? And so what you're going to see is an argument between him and the establishment. And they're about to, they're about to inject a needle into a girl who's, her and this boy have been trying to break free. So there's a lot of stuff that happens in here. If you don't know, it might be a little confusing. But, and also, there's a guy on a sled. He's trying to escape. <laughs> Got it? All right, Jonathan told me to explain it more from the first service. That's the best I can do, okay? All right, so let's watch it. I think that's a powerful por- portrayal of how God's heart is so big. And I think, like, sometimes I, I, as I was think, watching that, I was thinking, you know, I think that we just have such a limited view of what God wants to do. It's, it's almost like we live inside that black and white thing sometimes, and, and God is like wanting to expand our horizons of what he wants to do in our lives, of, of how much he loves everyone. When we, live, we live in these little circles, and I just feel like that's, that's the point, you know, is can God break us out of some of those little circles that we live in? Um, so, will you stand with me? I want to pray. I felt like God was... Uh, putting in my heart to pray for people today. So as we, as we close, if any of this has spoken to you and you're, and you're like, yeah, I've got some of that in me. I've got some of that judgmentalism or selfishness or um, I, struggle with, I struggle with people. I look at people and I, and I struggle with feeling unified. I think that you could come up and we could pray. You could, you could repent. You could ask God to change your heart. But I also feel like the other side of that is true. I think God wants to minister to people who have felt rejected. You know, you, people in this church have, I'm sure, by this church or others, felt that there's no place for you. You know, felt that there's no place for my gifts, or I, I don't know where I fit in. So if you have felt rejected, felt less than others, struggled with rejection your whole life, felt that you don't have a place, then come up for prayer, and we'll lay hands on you and pray for the Holy Spirit to bring freedom to you. Also, we pray for healing, physical healing, anyone who's sick. Also, prophetic prayer up here to this side for anyone who would like to receive prophetic prayer. Let's pray. God, I thank you that the the Word of God is alive and it's just as applicable today as it was 2,000 years ago. The situations might change, but the truth remains, God. And I pray for us. I pray that we would become a more loving, more unified body towards each other. God, I pray you break down walls of division within our church, Lord God. I also pray you break down walls of division between our church and other churches, God, and between our church and the world. Lord, that you would come and bring unity, bring your unity. Jesus, this was so important to you that it was your last prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. You prayed that we would be unified. Lord, I pray for that unity, the beauty of celebrating all the diversity that you've given us. God, let us learn to celebrate our differences And God, I pray for people in this room who have felt rejected or isolated or uh, marginalized, neglected. And and even if if the church has done that, God, I pray for healing. God, we repent, even if it hasn't been us, this church, but we repent for the ways that the church 
has been racist, has been classist, has had our doors closed to the people who needed it most, God, we repent of that, Jesus. We pray that we could become a light to the world, Jesus. That we could accept people like you accepted us. That's what it says, God. I pray we could accept people like you accepted us, God. I pray you begin to speak to us how we can do that in our own lives. So we welcome your Holy Spirit now as we begin to minister to one another. Come, Holy Spirit. Guys, if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you right now, don't leave. Come up front and get prayer because he has something he wants to do in your heart. Amen.